On today's episode of the KBC Hoops podcast, we've got, in my humble opinion, one of the most interesting men in the world. We've got Corey Heights with Prep Athletics. We're going to dive into the world of prep basketball. We're going to cover the perfect time a player needs to make the decision to make the jump to prep school. We're also going to cover the landscape of recruiting in Kentucky. And lastly, we're going to dive into... 10 minutes submerged with a guy called the Iceman, a bike ride through Africa, and lastly, a VIP experience with Dave Chappelle. Listen up to the KBC Hoops podcast. Another episode of the KBC Hoops podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the KBC Hoops podcast. We know it's been a long hiatus. We're actually coming to you from a different location. Huge shout out to Hargett Construction for hosting us today. We've got arguably TV, the uh, the most interesting man in the world, some would say. That's what I say. I mean, well, that's what I say, so that goes a long way. So, <laughs> Definitely yes. goes a long way. And I, I know amongst both of our friends groups, you know, this, this guy we're bringing on the show, you know, probably done everything. Corey, is there anything you haven't done? Can we start the show like that? I'm not an Iron Man. Anybody's <laughs> training. Yeah, exactly. Well, he'll have that done by the end of the year, yeah. most likely. But, but no, Corey, thanks so much for joining us. We've got Corey Heights of Prep Athletics. And you know, as we do, we get started. We like to go ahead and just kind of just go down the credentials of, you know, some of our guests and things. And, you know, Prep Athletics, if we just get into that, you just briefly describe that to us and, you know, your role in that. One, good to see you again. Good to see you. Thanks for having yeah. me here. I've been listening to this for a while and watching it. Uh, Prep Athletics, uh, just to jump off the deep end, is a business I started about five years ago, and it's where um, I help families pick the right prep school. And by pick, um, there's about 300 prep schools across the U.S. Uh, there's about 100 that offer postgrads, and they're all different shapes and sizes. So, um, if I'm a family that has a kid that wants to play a prep school year and they look online and start Googling, you're, you're not going to know what you get. So there's schools that are very academic. There's schools that are very basketball-oriented. There's military schools. There's ones like IMG uh, that are very um, expensive but very, very uh, just well-established and, and has the highest technology. So um, based on academics, based on athletics, on how good a player is, and then based on finances, I help them kind of whittle down those 100 schools or those 300 schools to maybe the right fitting three to five. So consulting work. We're, consulting work. we're familiar with that a little bit. And just as you, uh, you know, just dive into that, what are, who are some of the players that you have helped just along the years? Yeah, so I've helped um, players from 10 different countries around the world. Um, the first kid I actually helped 12 years ago was a kid named Toby Earhart out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I put him in a prep school in Maine. Um, that a family member of mine went to, and he succeeded there and ended up, after going there a year, got a scholarship to Pikeville, the year they won the national championship. And then after that, I started uh, trying to help some kids in, in the Lexington, Kentucky area, because I was coaching here uh, with you at Lexington Christian Academy. Um, so some other Kentucky players, um, I had to write them down here just because my memory's not as good, but the first kid we placed was Tyler Harville. Out of Lexington Christian, and I like to say, you know, where they went and then where they ended up, because he ended up going to Vermont Academy, and then after that, from there, he walked on at St. Mary's University out in California. Mm -hmm. um, after that, Tanner Johnson, Lexington Catholic, went to Worcester Academy. 
I know in a game there, uh, he had 13 threes in one game. Wow. Right, 10 in the first half. But he actually, uh, we'll get into this in a little bit. In the open gym period, he was killing it so hard in the first two weeks that he got his, an offer from Bryant and he took it. So within two weeks of going to do a post-grade year, you know, Tanner was locked away for the season. So yeah. he reached his goal of playing D1. Uh, Drew Tremble from Lexington Christian, who we coached. I went to the Naval Academy Prep School, then to the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. Brooks E. Lee went to, uh, uh, from, West, from Lexington Christian and West Jesmond, went to Hargrave Military, won a national championship with them, was on a team with Braxton Beverly um, and some others. And he went to Glenville State, started as a freshman for two years, and transferred to Northern Kentucky. Uh, Trey King, Lexington Christian again, uh, he left his um, junior year and did two years at Hargrave Military, and now he is at uh, Eastern Kentucky. And then David DeMarcus uh, from Bryan Station went to Bridgeton Academy, and then from there went to Center College. Uh, Brad Calipari was in the program at Lexington Christian. I know I didn't place him at uh, McDuffie School, but he, he and I talked quite a bit about the prep school process and some of the options. I did not want to get involved in that one. He had the best prep school consultant in his household. Uh, so I let that one be. And then uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Philip Njai from Lexington Christian Academy, uh, who was a senior there, he just committed to Western Reserve Academy in Ohio. And they've got one of the top players in the country yeah. named Chris Livingston. So that's a few right there. Um, I really got into this because I wanted to help Kentucky kids because I know the talent here, I know the IQ, and if we just got more college eyes on them, I knew they would have a chance. And as you see from this list, that's a lot of D1 players there. That, yeah, it is. Now, I would like to take it a, a step back, just, just back up just a little bit, because um, you got into this because of your part, partially because of your own personal experience with prep school. Um, and I kind of like to um, set up how you got here to where it makes sense to more people. It, it would seem random. Not just anybody can just start up a prep athletics, and then I'm going to start placing people. There, there's a process to be able to gain all that type of knowledge. Would you mind to jump into a little bit of your bio as well? Like, what got you to this point? Yeah, so my bio is uh, pretty interesting. I grew up in a family uh, with a lot of, a lot of tall Tall family. Members. You're the shortest male in your family. At second shortest. Second yeah. shortest at six seven. I think that's correct. Right. And now I've got a cousin who uh, is going to be a junior, and he's now six nine three twenty. So he, okay. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get, <laughs> so yeah. even the young ones are starting to overpass me. But um, my dad grew up in Northeast Indiana, and his older brother was six eleven, and uh, no one had gone to college in my family, and he was decent at basketball, and ended up uh, getting a scholarship to Oklahoma. Uh, my dad was seven feet tall. And um, he ended up uh, choosing West Virginia over Kentucky to play college ball and then got drafted in the NBA and then played you pro. You told me a funny story about in Switzerland about your dad sitting in Adolf Rupp's office. You told me a funny story. We're not going to say go that ahead. one yeah, on that's fine. I know. Yeah. I know. Just, my, dad's, uh, my dad took it to Adolf Rupp, and my dad's pissed off uh, Rick Pitino. Yeah. So I'm just waiting for him to take it to Cal somehow. <laughs> so that's another story sure. for another podcast. But yeah. um, So my father played um, – and, that, and then his baby brother, Tom Heights, played at Kentucky from 79-84. So he black, backed up two lottery picks in Sam Bowie and Melvin Turpin, and he got drafted by the Indiana Pacers. Um, and then after him, my, uh, my dad's sister's daughter, Renee, she's 6'5". She played at Moorhead State and then transferred to the University of Anchorage, Alaska. And then her baby brother, Brad Miller, uh, played at Purdue and then 14 years in the NBA yes. to include two All-Star games. So... Um, my goal from being a little kid was to get a D1 scholarship or bust. That's, that's all I cared about. So um, 
so for me, the only way I would, so we, we, we lived in West Virginia when I grew up because my dad played at West Virginia, and then we moved here uh, in 1988 after seeing my, my uncle play at Kentucky all his games. He fell in love in Lexington. And when I moved here, I got to Sarah School, and Rob Goodman, who's now the head coach of Sarah, is one of my coaches. Uh, from there, I went to Henry Clay for a year and a half at high school, then transferred over to Lexington Catholic uh, with Coach Danny Haney, and then Brad Carter mm -hmm. was my point guard as well. And our Lexington Catholic team was uh, always one of the top three teams in the state. I backed up uh, Vondale Morton, you know, an All-American, so I did not get that many minutes. And I graduated high school at 6'7", 195. So I had a lot of D1s looking at me, just saying, hey, when you, when you hit your growth spurt, like every other member in your family, yeah. we're there for you. Yeah. You know, but my only schools um, recruiting me at the time were military academies, so Army, Navy, and Air Force. And those were on the condition that I had to go to their prep school. One, my ACTs and SATs need to be a little bit higher. And two, I just, I was just, I hadn't hit my spurt yet. I was not developed as a man yet. So I committed to Navy. That fell through, and then um, learned about Air Force. Committed to them. Went to their prep school for a postgrad year. And what's unique about the Air Force's prep school year is that, where a lot of the prep schools I deal with, you have to pay somewhere sometimes up to sixty-five thousand. At the Air Force or any of the academy prep schools, you actually enlist in the military, so you get paid while you're there. So back in 95, 96, we got $650 a month, pure cash, hmm. right? To go to prep school. To go to prep school. But yeah. we were enlisted, sure. right? So technically, we're in the military. And that year, I put on 20 pounds of muscle. I'm playing with great players from around the country, learning how to do the, um, the military aspect of it. We're all getting caught up in the basics of academics. So if we do go to the academy, we will be on par with everyone else coming straight into the academy and i ended up um not growing i haven't been you know i haven't grown since age 16 so i'm still six seven it's six six seven and we're talking about you hadn't hit a growth spurt that's right but it's all relative <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you saw a family picture we look normal how tall everybody is but um so i decided you know the only chance i'm gonna get to play d1 is actually stay here at air force um so I was in Air Force, played in their program, graduated, uh, became an officer for five years, communications officer. And then when I got out, did a little traveling, then moved back, uh, moved to British Columbia and coached my first high school year up there, British Columbia. Great athletes, great snowboarders, terrible basketball players. Um, didn't know what I was doing, then moved back to Kentucky here to Lexington to start working with my family. Uh, got on at LCA with Tommy Houston and Brad Carter. And... Um, was here for three years and moved to Washington, D.C. to be with my now wife and got on with Gonzaga College High School there. Now, when I, when I got to D.C. and got on with Gonzaga College High School, they were a top 10 team in the nation. Our, the, the first year I was there, we had Nate Britt, who went to North Carolina. Chris Jenkins, who went to Villanova, then hit the shot to win the title. Uh, Franz uh, Rasman went to Loyola. He was 6'9". Um, Jordan Abdurouf went to Cornell. He was 6'8". Um, we had Tavon Blackman went to Brown. Charles Glover went to Mount St. Mary's. Franklin Howard went to Syracuse. Uh, Bryant Crawford went to Wake Forest. And then we had some D3 guys too. So my big man practice at LCA when I was there, even up until the end of the season, we were working on drop steps yeah. and off hands. I just threw the ball out with these big guys every day. So Chris Jenkins, oh, Sam Miller who went to Dayton. You know, Chris Jenkins going against Sam Miller against Jordan Abdurahouf. I mean, it was just battles. So, you know, I was there for two years under Steve Turner, who won the Gatorade National Coach of the Year Award. And just so I've been at every level. I've been at the worst level of basketball in Canada, very passionate, high IQ in Kentucky, and then the absolute, you know, Nike sponsored, talented Gonzaga. And throughout that whole time, I've just been making connections, learning about prep schools. And what also got me passionate about prep school guys is that my cousin Brad, before he went to Purdue, 
he spent his senior year at a prep school in Maine called Maine Central Institute. Now, Brad um, went on a recruiting trip his senior year, got in trouble, and was going to be suspended for about half a season. And my dad, since Brad's, Brad's dad wasn't in the picture, my dad was kind of advising him on, on what to do. And one of the options was bring him down to Lexington Catholic. But Lexington Catholic had been accused of recruiting, so us bringing a seven-footer in in October would have been um, just just too much too much to bear for Coach Haney. So we sent him to Coach Haney's college coach at Eastern, his program in Maine, and he immediately got a father figure. Immediately was around good players, a lot of them from New York City, and that made him a man. Yeah. And Brad says, if I would not have gone to MCI for that senior high school, I would not have made it to the NBA. So my family, you know, Brad, his life changed for the better because of prep school. I'm not playing D1 for free unless I go to prep school. So that's where I wanted to start telling as many people as possible, hey, this option exists if you're not meeting your needs. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about something because I had the privilege. Was it? I think it might have been 09 that we connected, mm-hmm. um, and, and I got on the staff as well over at Lexington Christian with you and Tommy and Brad. And I remember when you left to go to D.C. I mean, you and I really hit it off and uh, seeing the world kind of the same way in certain aspects. And um, I remember when you first got to Gonzaga about just how different it was. And, you know, we're used to here in Kentucky, we're used to, you know, everybody grows up in the same community. You go to elementary school, middle school together, then you finish out high school together. And uh, you, it was much different up in Gonzaga. You're talking about guys taking uh, the train however long to get to school every day. You talk about the uh, the league that they play in it might be the most competitive league in the country. Um, but you're telling me all that. And that was a real eye-opening experience for me that I thought, you know, Kentucky basketball is good. And it is good. It is good. But just the differences of different things that are out there. Um, can you explain a little bit, dive into that Gonzaga prep school? Because that is just people here think that they want it and people around the country think that they want it to play at that highest level play at the highest level but there is there are sacrifices and it is a little bit different when you get outside of it we were talking about Montverde earlier before this started and yeah it's the highest level but it comes with it's different it's different than you being around all of your friends and people that have known you forever can you explain a little bit about what you um, went through with uh, Gonzaga for those couple of years. I know it was a positive experience for you, but it's just different. Can you explain some of those differences? Yeah, it was different. When I walked into my first summer league game, I, I was cocky. I was like, hey, I'm from Kentucky. It's a basketball state. You know, let's, you guys might be more, more talented, but let's, let's see what you guys got here. And I'm on the bench. I don't know the coaches. I don't know the players. Josie's my wife. My now wife is there. Uh, there was a TV crew there, and it was a packed gym. And Chris Jenkins ended up shooting the first six shots and making the first six shots. And I was like, I tapped a kid next to me, like, who's that? They're like, well, that's Chris Jenkins. You know, I was like, can he just do whatever he wants? And they're like, yeah, he can. And uh, Chris was the sweetest guy and just like a ballet. He was probably 260 pounds, like chunky, but like a ballerina on his feet. So just being around that talent every day was different, right? So you're not teaching fundamentals. You're fine-tuning things. You're getting the guys to play together. Um, Everyone there had been recruited to go there. So if Lexington, there's so much talent, but it's spread out among the high schools. Let's say Lexington Catholic and Scott County recruited the best players from, you know, a 45-minute radius. Those would be two great teams. If not, you know, nationally ranked teams, right? But that's how you did it in D.C. And all these Catholic schools and the other private schools were in wars to get the best players, right? So, so I had to go recruit seventh graders. And, and, it, to, and by the way, it's known that it, it's just out there that they're recruiting. It's legal. It's right. legal. Right. They play with their own rules. And kids, like pa- parents there would like broker with schools, like try to broker deals. 
And I remember I went to go recruit seventh graders. I, I don't have that eye. I can't pick what seventh grader is going to be good. Um, I let the coaches that were local use their contacts and figure that out. But when I would sit in the gym with a Gonzaga shirt on, parents would come up to me and be politic. Hey, see my son there? He's 5'4". You know, he's going to be good. Yeah. And I was like, all right, great. You know, Does that sound familiar, Marcellus? Does that sound familiar? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so that was interesting with that. And then the cool thing about Gonzaga, it's all boys school. It's about four blocks from the U.S. Capitol. Um, they got a lot of famous alum that went through there. And if you're a McDonald's All-American and don't have the grades, you can't get in. So everyone you see on that roster, well, like this year they have a kid going to Michigan, Vanderbilt, and Butler, right? That's just this year. Every right. year's like that. Those kids are all, you know, academic scholars, and they're going through a brutal academic schedule. So not only is it all boys where kids can let their guards down, you know, because there's no girls to impress, not only is it high in basketball, it's high academics too. And they're going up against Paul VI. They're going up against DeMatha. Our game against DeMatha, um, the first year I was there, I told my dad to fly in. I said, hey, I think this is special. <laughs> yeah. We're both top ten in the country right now, USA Today. We're playing at American in front of 5,000 people. It's sold out. They're scalping tickets. I said, I think you want to check this out. And sure enough, he flew in. It's five D1 guys against five D1 guys, another D1 guys coming off the bench. I mean, it's just stupid. And we went on last-second shot, and they stormed the court. Our kids stormed the court. And our kids were all boys. The math is all boys, and they're saying things that are just so inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't hear this till after the game, till my wife fills me in. But like, it's a raucous environment. So, I, I now know like Kentucky basketball is great, but you've not seen environments where you just have all this testosterone on one side against the other, and they hate each other. Yeah, coaches are just. I mean, it's just you've got like Coach K, Coach Williams, you know, all these guys are in the gym for these games. Coach Wright was always there, so it's the highest level basketball you can get in the country would you so when i'm explaining what we're used to with kentucky basketball where it's more uh family homey like again you're you're coming up most of the time with the same kids from elementary school all the way through high school um the differences with some of these high high end schools like what you're talking about it does seem to be more business-like and that you do need to that you know if you're considering wanting to go play because we've seen players leave and then come back leave and then it just doesn't work out or whatnot it I, can you explain the difference in the business-like approach because you know there was no point even when i first came on to lca where brad and tommy yourself the players didn't make me feel immediately welcome and for you to be painting a picture where you're sitting on the end of the bench and know nobody don't know what's and seem kind of disconnected and you're fighting seem like you're kind of fighting your way to get connected and to earn that it just seems much more business-like as opposed to more of the family, good old time, that type of stuff. Is that accurate? Yeah. The coaching staff, we got along great. Yeah. We became yeah, brothers. Yeah. Uh, it was a little bit more cold with the kids because it just, you know, they were they were higher-end players. Like, they were good. Like, they chose Gonzaga to get to the next level. It's not like they were in Gonzaga's district. Like, they chose Gonzaga over DeMatha, Paul VI, or some of these other schools. So it was more cutthroat, I'd say, in that aspect. Um Remember, we're a Nike elite school, so we have certain responsibilities to win, to get yeah. certain tournaments, to have certain players, or else there's no need for Nike to give us all that gear and all that money. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's much, much more passionate and familial, I'd say, in Kentucky than D.C., but um, at the end of the day, kids in Kentucky also want to get to college and get to yeah, the next sure. level. And yeah, these kids, but like, kids in D.C., they all, a lot of them had trainers. Um, their parents were clicked in. They knew, they knew the AU team to go to. They knew the different intricacies of the program, so very, very well educated. And um, and you had kids from every socioeconomic background, too, so it was, just, it was kind of a neat melting pot with that as well. Um, but, you know, 
We, my first year there, we played twice on ESPN. The second time I played Damatha was on ESPN. Nike gave us our own customized purple shoes, and Damatha their own shoes. And we lost by 10, but like, I remember texting back to the guys at LCA, like, hey, if you want to see your coach on TV tonight, yeah, tune in and watch these guys. And um, so it was very interesting. But, you know, being at the bottom level in Canada, coaching at Lexington Christian and coaching at Gonzaga, you know, I got the most fulfillment at LCA because, one, we were right there on the cusp of breaking through. And now, obviously, we coached against you <laughs> and Ryan Fusey. And you always kept us from breaking through that. But um, you could see development, too, right? So it was, it was the best level of all my coaching, you know, Kentucky. And I'm not being biased here. It's just there was a different passion, a different IQ. And, and to bring that full circle, the year after I got done coaching, um, we, Gonzaga has a classic every year. They bring in these teams from the East Coast. And I said, hey, can we get Lafayette up there? Okay. So Jackson Davis was a senior. And they were the playing game against Gonzaga. And my co the coach at Gonzaga, Steve Turner, was like, I'm going to beat him, right? I was like, we well, should on paper. Like, they're going to throw all types of presses at you. They're going to be very IQ and very well coached. But of all these other teams, like, on paper, they are the least talented. And I'll be damned if Lafayette went up there and won. And my coach didn't speak to me for a year. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> and Jackson Davis actually dominated where that's where he ended his recruitment with Rice and opened it back up because yeah. he was in front of all these coaches and just, just – put a pounding on Gonzaga pretty much by himself. And then you've got Mike Mendenhall running the Catholic system of presses, that, and that's that high IQ I talked about that Kentucky has versus um, most teams across the country. That's the other thing. When I mentioned these, these Kentucky players that we've sent to prep school that have gone into D1, it is now known in the prep school world a Kentucky kid just stereotypically is going to have a higher basketball IQ than a New England kid. Now, everyone can play, but just it's that – I don't know how to describe it. If it's in the water, if it's just um, – how dads raise their kids here. But the stereotype, and we've seen it proof in the pudding with Tanner Johnson at 13 threes, yeah. Tyler Harville tied the all-time three-point record in his one year up there, tied Spike Albrecht, who played at Michigan. Yeah, Michigan yeah. Um, so now when I call my prep school buddies and say, hey, I got a shooter from Kentucky, they know like this, the, the, he's not lying. There are shooters in Kentucky, and maybe they don't have D1 offers just because no one had seen them. So that's to bring a full circle back to, you know, what we're dealing with here in Kentucky. Yeah. So if, if we if we just go from the levels of basketball, you know, you got the the Catholic League down in you know DC area as far as the the, the top level of prep basketball. Are there different levels, um, sub levels of prep basketball, and what, what are some of the differences in the different prep schools? And you know, I know you threw up military, and you know, just kind of what are those differences that uh, you know people have access and are available. Yeah, so let's break this down. So the WCAC, that the Washington Catholic Association, where I coached at Gonzaga, that's high schools. Those are private high schools. Okay, when I talk about prep schools, one defining factor is you can actually live there. It's like a boarding school. Okay, so let's break those two things up there. Um, some boarding schools that I deal with, and I'm going to call them prep schools for this this conversation. Um, some don't have postgrad years. Right, about 400 across the U.S. prep schools, only about 100 of them have a postgrad year. Okay. So some kids want to go uh, to prep school in ninth grade. Some want to transfer and reclass their junior year. Some just want to go for postgrad. It's a lot of different options that families have. So what are the options here? So we've got uh, prep schools that are very academic. So Exeter is probably the most known prep school in the world. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg went there. Um, a lot of U.S. senators, other famous people. The campus has all these giant, like a science building, brand new, that looks like it should be on Yale's campus. It's, they've got a brand new athletic facility. Duncan Robinson mm -hmm. went to Exeter. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then went to um, D3, Michigan. then Michigan. Yeah, D3, Michigan, now the Miami Heat. Yeah. 
Um, so Exeter is the number one prep school in the world. They have a billion-dollar endowment. I don't know if Kentucky, UK has a billion-dollar endowment. So they've got a war chest there. And so there, there's schools like that. Uh, Andover is where the Bush family sent their kids. Um, Deerfield. So these are the high academic schools. Exeter has great basketball, but these are the higher-end academic schools to where you're going to be around Rhodes Scholars, and, and a lot of the, the, the kids there are going to try to be getting into Ivy League schools. Okay? Then you've got to step down academically to schools like Brewster, New Hampton, uh, Vermont Academy, Worcesters, Worcester Academy. Uh, these are schools that are way more prominent basketball-wise. They're going to have between 4 to 12 D1 players on their bench. Academics aren't going to be brutal like an Exeter or an Andover, but the basketball uh, talent's going to be higher. And then you've got different levels below that to where you can find teams up there where there's maybe one or two D3 players. Okay, so it really depends, you know, what money you have, how good you are, what you want. Some kids want to be on a Brewster roster where they're playing with 12 D1 guys. Okay. Uh, some kids want to be the man, and they'll go to a smaller school where they are the one D3 guy on a roster. Okay, so it just depends on family fit. So that's New England. That's a snapshot of them. Then in Virginia, you've got Hargrave Military and Fork Union, two schools that have both been around over a century. Great basketball teams, great histories, and that's where it's a little bit more affordable than New England schools, but it's got a military aspect. And Hargrave, in my opinion, is the number one prep school program in America, just based on the players I've sent there, based on how they do things. And you've got to be able to grind there. It is not, it is not like IMG where it's all glossy. It is gritty. You're in a military dorm. You're wearing a uniform. You've got guys there that, you know, are trying to get to the next level, and it's military. So that's tougher. And then finally, you go to Florida, and you've got IMG Academy, which is like going 30 years in the future. I mean, when I went there a few years ago, it was me and Tony Bennett sitting in the stands, and um, I got a tour after that, after watching their shoot around, and it's just everyone's beautiful. The campus is beautiful. It just, it's, you know, the, the guy gave me a tour. He's like, yeah, that girl over there, she's the number one tennis player in the world at age 16. That guy's the number two reliever for the Nats. Like, these people are just all sprinkled about. And I actually sent a seven-foot kid there from Ohio a couple years ago for a post-grad year. And in the preseason, he's training with NBA players getting ready for training camp. Yeah. So you've got all these different schools at different spectrums. And basically what I try to do is when I talk to a family, you know, figure out the grades. You know, does Exeter make sense? Does Andover make sense? Then how good are you? Are you good enough to play in those teams? Do you want to play in that style? Or you know, be the best player or be one of many? And then financially, that's always the biggest thing, you know. So well, it, in our discussions over the years, um, there's there's different reasons why people go to prep school, and one of the the benefits of speaking with you is that um, you can get clarity on those reasons. Um, some people might have a D three offer right now, but even a year of prep school is not going to net them a, a scholarship offer of some kind. They're still going to be a D3 player, in which case sometimes your recommendation is, well, let's just go ahead and go to college. Or, you know, you might need another year for more options to pop up. But can, can you explain some of the different reasons why people would, why a prep school would work for them? Um, or what is the typical fit and different reasons why somebody would be a fit for a prep school, just in general? Okay, let's talk... Um Let's say one kid has one D3 offer, right? And we know at the end of the day, all three of us at this, at this table, that he's still going to be a D3 kid at the end of the day. If the family has the money, and we're talking some of these prep schools can cost between forty-eight to 65000 If they have the money, they can spend that money on this year. The kid is going to be get more mature physically. He's going to get better. He's going to get seen more. And maybe at the end of the day, after spending that money and playing on this prep school, he might have 
seven D3 options at different parts of the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. Different region than the, maybe just in Kentucky. And if he got his ACT uh, or SAT scores up higher, might get a better package. Yeah, or might get more playing time at the D3 level because he's a better player now. Because he's going to walk in not homesick, being away from home for the first year, not scared of college classes because right. he's taking prep classes. So he will have a more seamless transaction. That only makes sense if you've got the money to do it. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk my, my situation and a lot of kids. My, my bread and butter kid is usually a 6'7", a 6'9", kid that just needs that extra year. And that's mm -hmm. what I needed. All right, so I can personally speak on that. Boys mature physically between the ages of 17 and 20 different, right? Like, I didn't hit my spurt until I was 19 in Colorado at the prep school. And that's when I could put on 20 pounds. wasn't doing anything differently. It's just my body, the DNA turned on, and I could start putting on mass. Uh, and that, that made the game so much easier for me. So those kids that need to put on weight, um, maybe get more playing time, which I got more playing time there than I did at Lexington Catholic, and just get different coaching. You know, that's a big thing, too. Um, not everyone's high school coach is that good. Mm-hmm. Right. Danny Haney was a great coach, and I had a great coach at prep school as well, so I got great coaching throughout personally, but I needed that extra year physically. And I was that tweener that, hey, if I got a little bit more weight and got seen, maybe I could go to a D1 program, and I did. So that was another one's physicality. Secondly is academics, right? Maybe um, you want to go to an Ivy League school or a Patriot League school, but you don't have the minimum ACT score. You might go there, take ACT, SAT prep, bump that up a few points, and now you're actually in another class of college that you weren't in before, right? So academic. And then finally, if you are hanging around the wrong, um, wrong peer group or you're in a bad, like, toxic home environment, I'm helping a person this year who's just, he, he, they've got a really bad home environment. They need to get out, right? They're leaving after their sophomore year, and this is going to help just their psyche and well-being, all right, as well as get them better academically in basketball. But that's an instance where you just need to get someone a different set of scenery. Yeah. So those are the instances. That's good. Uh, now, also another one that I can think of as well, being involved in the recruitment stuff that goes on here in Kentucky, um, we have kind of the same schools that tend to come in and look at players, and they tend to be regional, um, whereas um, a prep school um, could offer a chance. You know, some of the events and the different things that you invited me to over the years that are just amazing event. It, it gets a new set of eyes on you. I, I've thought for years, and just paying attention to recruiting, that there are you'll see a kid go to something a, a school like Elon, you know, out of West Virginia. I'm like, I know that player. I've seen that player. Congratulations to that player. But there's 15 kids in Lexington that are much better. How did that happen? And so, uh, I've always um, been a proponent of prep school for getting new eyes looking at you in a different setting. Um, there are situations, there are a lot of good high school coaches here in Kentucky. There are times where kids um, maybe should be playing that aren't playing. That does happen, where coaches will make mistakes or whatever the reason, the kid needs another year to be seen and be seen potentially by different eyes, which prep school seems to be a great option for that. To travel around, you're playing with new kids where you can really kind of redefine your role um, because you're starting fresh, going to a brand new team. So you can be whatever you need to be, a fresh start, where sometimes you know, I've heard an, an experience where maybe something that I did in middle school is still somehow carrying over with me all the way up through my sophomore year of high school. And I was, you know, 11 when I did whatever I did. Or so, you know, it, and so just a new set of scenery is sometimes good for people as well. Um, but I've been amazed by uh, the different stories and just being able to talk with you over the years about the different prep school options because there's very, what you're mentioning is um, established brick and mortar schools. Um, academic. What's popped up over the last several years, 
um, quite famously, are um, essentially, uh, they're called prep schools, but they're not actually brick-and-mortar schools themselves. They are, um, kids will take online courses sometimes or, you know, and, and don't think that I'm, I'm not trying to be negative on it from the jump because some of them, I, you know, I, we know some of these people personally and they are trying to do as good a job as they can do. They just don't have a brick-and-mortar school to work with. They're trying to build something. But then there's also another section of people that I would just call scammers. I mean, it seems like scamming people. They don't know what really they're getting into, and it's it's almost like just starting up an AAU team and having people pay, you know, for an AAU team. And I've, I've heard some uh, pretty horrific stories. Some of them, you and I have gone back and forth, have gone national, gone public, um, and there's some pretty horrific stories which uh, make what you do uh, very important to people and, and, and able to... Uh, help them navigate those waters. Can you speak on some of the differences on from the brick-and-mortar prep schools to, like Huntington Prep, for example, a famous school that's put out NBA players. Um, up until recent, they had partnered with a Catholic school in Huntington. The kids would go to that Catholic school, but then play for Huntington Prep team. There is no school called Huntington Prep. It's not actually a physical place, but that's the name of their team. And uh, that seemed to work out all right. Um, a lot of people were successful from that. But can you talk about the different types of prep schools? That's a pretty broad term when actually there's a lot of differences between the prep schools. Yeah, so I keep it in two different categories. There's prep schools, like you mentioned, that are brick and mortar. A lot of them have been around a century or more. I know West Nottingham in Maryland has been around since 1744. Yeah. The founder of Cincinnati came wow. out of there. So like that's been around since before America was a country. And then there's these new academies that are popping up. Some have popped up probably yesterday. There's probably two new ones in the U.S. Some academies is the term you're using for that. Not Acad I'm schools. using the words academies. Now, there are prep schools like Vermont Academy, Hargreaves Military yeah. Academy, Worcester Academy. We're not talking but about But for this those. conversation. This conversation, we're talking the schools that, I'm sorry, the programs that are, don't have the history yeah. right, and don't have the infrastructure. Um, I used to, in the old days, when I was figuring this this business out, I would get kids reaching out to me um, from Taiwan that didn't speak English, good basketball players, but needed a place to go at a pretty cheap price. And I would call coaches, call prep schools, and find places and put them there. So they'd learn English, play basketball. It was decent, okay? Um, I couldn't get those kids into these established prep schools. Also, I might have a kid that came to me in the past that had $5,000 to do a post-grad year, and hey, lo and behold, one of these academies would take him too. Um, so I had, it, it fit a need of, of some of the kids I was helping. Um, but over the years, unfortunately, I started having negative experiences with some of them, right? Uh, one made national news where the coach uh, was dropping, uh, was cussing out a foreign player, threatening to deport him. Um, another one, uh, kids were sleeping in a horse stall. Another one, uh, seven kids were in one room, all on mattresses on the floor. One of my kids uh, a couple years ago had to get a job at a car dealership washing cars because he had to get money to buy more food because he wasn't being fed enough. And then finally there was one I had to, I had to sneak a kid out, uh, the, one of the best players from Taiwan, um, out of, a, out of a, one of these places at midnight under, without the coach knowing. And um, so based on these experiences, based on all the bandwidth it took with these, these programs, with the parents, with the kids, um, and how I just didn't feel good about this, uh, a couple of years ago, I just said, you know, I cannot, I can't risk sending a kid to one of these places again. It's just insurance for me and for the families. And if you can't, you know, if you don't have the um, the resume to attend one of these brick and mortar prep schools, then it, I can't help you. Okay, but let's let's not throw every one of these places, you know, yeah, in right. one thing. So there are good ones out there, right? Um, 
there are good people out there that do it. These are affordable options that, you know, where kids can't afford to get in New England. It's just what I tell kids is, look, there's certain questions you have to ask. I've got a website called prepathletics.com. I've got some, um, some articles on there, questions to ask coaches. Those are very important on a normal day, let alone now in COVID. So right now, the prep schools I'm dealing with in New England, they're working on different phases of when do we open? What do we do if someone gets sick? What's our bubble? They have infrastructure meetings. They have subcommittees. All this stuff going on where a lot of these academies have one guy and an assistant coach, a house, a van, and a training facility. What if someone gets sick? You know, what's, you know, what if three kids don't come back from break? Is, the, is it going to open? Is it going to stay open? You know, is there going to be games? Are you going to travel across state lines? Will you be allowed to do that? Just with COVID, there's a lot of questions coming up. And I'm just, I want parents, if they are going to go the academy route, to ask a lot of questions. Where have you placed kids? What are the academics? Am I going to be sitting around all day playing video games? Why do online courses? Is there an ACT, SAT uh, tutor? All these things you have to ask about. And, um, so yeah, so there are some good ones out there. I'm friends with a lot of these guys and I have to have this tough conversation where I say, look, I'm just not comfortable right now sending a kid to your place because it's a group house, the food situation, you know, they're going to tell you everything you need to hear until it actually the rubber hits the road and the kid gets down there, right? Every situation I sent these kids to that turned out bad sounded great to, to me and the kid and his family before it happened. So over this 12-year period, I've, I've visited over 100 prep schools. I've put weeks in traveling to them, visiting them in person, meeting the coaches, meeting the admission director. So when I talk to a family, I can say, hey, this school's been around 200 years. Here's who's gone here. It's got a Wikipedia page. Uh, here's what the campus is like. Here's the culture. I can't do that with every of these academies popping up. So they are an option for some people. It's just after my experience with them, I can't recommend them personally anymore. Yeah, and, and I, you know, for some of the guys that we do know that we know are genuinely good guys trying to make that work, that's just the level that they're coming in. You do feel bad. Marcellus and I are in a similar spot where it's not like guys that run uh, basketball tournaments and events have the best reputations, you know. And so sometimes, uh, you know, we know our intentions and we have good reputation, but uh, other guys can make it hard on us um, as well. I, and, and I do feel for those guys that are really trying to make it, but in regards to your business, you have all these options over here that are proven, you know, more safe, higher likelihood of success. And so for the time being, you know, you got to push them that way. And this is what it is. And so, um, yeah, that's the, that whole world is, uh, is, is uh, very interesting because it's super help. I mean, it's, it's very helpful. I, I wouldn't if I'm a kid who's um, halfway through my senior year of high school, or maybe even going into my senior year of high school, because Marcellus, did you how, did you pick up offers your senior year, or was it mainly the summer of your junior yeah, year? So, so really, it was. Uh, I actually signed to IUPUI the fall right before the season began. Yeah. So it was kind of already out the way through AAU. However, um, you know, had I not had it been another school and not IUPUI, I probably would have waited a little. I just figured I could get everything I needed at that school. But you know, I was. The type of player too, where you know I, I, w I wasn't heavily recruited either, though. So you know I, I knew that whenever I played against you know the top competition and you know the the guys that you see ranked you know in the top 15, top 20, you know I always performed well. So I knew that at some level there could be a chance to possibly break through that. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm really familiar about being in Kentucky and kind of almost uh you know being in a bubble and you can only do as well as where you're at. Yeah. So you know but, I, but I was kind of in in a situation where. It was in the back of my mind of like, you know, if 
if maybe I could go somewhere else, you know, maybe I could have a, a different outcome and things yeah. like that. So, well, I guess where I was getting was the uh, the timing on this in regards to making the decision because um, most kids have uh, the summer of their junior season. Mm -hmm. Um, AA, AAU wise is a very important time because sure. you really start to figure out are you going to be recruited and at what level are you going to be recruited and um, most of the time NAI programs they don't jump on until a kid's senior year but in regards to the division one level if you don't have an oh, offer yeah. or strong interest by your by the end of your yeah, junior season going into your senior year yeah going into the uh, that if you don't have anything by that end of that AAU season you know, and setting up visits for the fall before the actual season starts. I mean, you pretty much... You probably are not, not going to get a Division one, one scholarship. No. Because one of the things you always talk to me about is timing with this decision on the prep school um, option. Because there is a certain amount, and I'll let you get into this, but um, what I'm trying to get at is something that, that the listeners can take away. Um, the timing of this, of course, you can wait until after your whole senior year is over, but your options and your ability to be able to help them are going to be very small as opposed to if you're going into your senior season, let's say you do want to play Division One basketball and you've not heard from any Division One coaches. They need to call you sooner than later to hopefully get into a situation where you'd have an opportunity to be seen. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to play your entire senior year for your school, for your high school. But if we're talking about potentially a post-grad year, um, you'd need to jump on that a little bit earlier. Can you talk about the timing and, and when people, because a lot of people wait until after the season's over, then they call me in a panic. What do I do? What do I do? And I prefer to be able to give people this option ahead of time to where they know when to work on things. Ideally, we would talk to families in August before their senior year. August before, okay. Okay, and what I do is I try to keep, uh, the thing I try to do is let everyone know I exist, right? And let, let them know the prep school world exists. Because a lot of people outside New England, across the U.S. and world, it's starting to pick up a little bit, but they just don't know this is an option for them. So all the coaches in the 11th region, most of them know, um, and I try to reach out to them every August, hey, you got anyone this year that we might want to at least talk about it if they've got potential and they're just not where they need to be recruiting-wise or physical-wise, et cetera, et cetera. So ideal world, it'd be August where I talk to the family, give them the whole education on what the postgrad is, all the benefits. We talk money, we talk grades, we talk goals, and if they're a viable candidate, yeah, we'll start reaching out to schools, or I'll start reaching out to schools on their behalf in September. They'll schedule visits, and this is pre-COVID, so let's assume yeah. COVID's not going on now. Yeah. They'll take visits before their season starts, so they'll know, like, oh, I visited these five schools, I like these three. Then they'll apply to those three schools, and then March 10th is like Christmas in our world, because March 10th is when all the prep school packages come out. So if you visited three schools, apply to three, you'll have one, two, three in front of you. One might be this amount, one might be this amount, one might be this amount. And then how I work with the families, I kind of mirror back to them, you know, okay, you like this school best, but it costs 10000 more. Is that worth it to you? Um, you, know, if, if, you know, is it worth saving 10000 to go to this school that wasn't your favorite? Should we negotiate on your behalf uh, to get that price even? So ideally, August. And about half my clients come that way. Now, though, after the season starts and after March 10th when a lot of these schools fill their roster, it's an interesting time, too, because then you can also move fast, all right? Schools know how much financial aid they didn't use during March 10th. Coaches know what players didn't commit to them after that, so they might have a couple spots open. So you can move a lot quicker then, all right? I will send out emails and tweets and texts like, who needs a big? And I'll get schools that need bigs. Or, hey, what's the minimum you'll take right now? Like right now with COVID, schools are taking are taking cuts just to get kids in bed. So right now is actually the cheapest time ever to go to prep school. 
some schools will get a kid in for twenty. Now twenty thousand to the average person is a lot of money for a year, but sure. in the prep school world, twenty thousand versus sixty-five thousand is a big discount. Yeah. Right. So things are moving real fast right now, and I still have kids reaching out every day. But the thing to know is if you can, you know, I love dealing with Tom because Tom knows now what kid would benefit from a prep school year. So when he sends me a kid to talk to or look at, I know he's been vetted already. Since January and since COVID, I've had 150 people reach out to me uh, via my website to ask about a prep school year, and I've taken on two of them as clients just because the other 148 just don't have the profile. They're not good enough. They might not have the grades. They might not have the money. So it's very selective. I'm, I'm, you know, I probably take on about 20 kids a year because that's the only amount I've seen up to this point that would actually benefit from this year. Okay. Now, now, also, you know, I appreciate this because you um, – you know, uh, are giving us a scenario in regards to twenty thousand to sixty-five thousand or whatnot. But there are de- they do have scholarships, financial aid available to where you've had kids go for much less than that as well. It's not you know just for everybody listening. Um, it's not a guarantee. It, you're giving what the average is going to be. So go ahead and be prepared. But if you're you know depending on your financial situation and frankly how good you are. Um, that can come down. Is that correct? Can you explain, just going into that just a little bit on how that works? Yes. So let's talk about financial aid. So um, if I've had a bunch of kids that have only paid three to 5000 mm-hmm. and it's because their parents did not have the money, and they went through the financial aid process, and that is the scholarship they got from a school. A school like Exeter, when they look at the applications that come in, they don't look at the financial aid. If they have, have 10,000 applications and they only take 100 kids, they will take the top 100 kids in those applications, then look at what they can pay. But remember, we just mentioned they have a billion-dollar endowment, right, so they true. have the flexibility to do that. But sure. my point is, like, in the old days before COVID, there was a big pot of financial aid money to go around. And, and basketball coaches, like, like, I know one school had six full scholarships to give out, right? Now, he can give six scholarships, right? And then the other six players have to be full pay. Or he can give out, you know, everyone, you know, 12 guys pay half. Or he can mix it up. It's kind of like being a general manager or a D3 coach where you've only got so much money to divvy up amongst your players. Um I do know that if you are a kid that has good SATs, good GPA, and maybe you're more well-rounded, you will get more money. Um, These prep schools, they're in an arms race against each other. Andover and Exeter hate each other. They're trying to one-up each other all the time. They're trying to compete for the best students in the world. All right? If you have a 36 ACT, you're going to increase the average of that school population's ACT. Right? So they're going to give you more money for that. Or if you have maybe a 22 ACT, they're not going to give you any money because you're going to bring down that school average. Same with GPA. They also don't just want a basketball player. I don't care how good you are. They want you to have something else. I know a kid I placed a couple weeks ago at Western Reserve Academy is from Germany. That's great. That checks the box. You've got another country in the school. He has 4.0. He aced his German uh, uh, standardized tests. And guess what? He's an expert cello player. So there, you're not just getting a kid that's just going to play basketball and that's always thinking about all day. You're bringing a kid that speaks two languages, is also in the arts, is also pretty bright, and that's something a school wants, so they gave him a lot more money than they would have just him if he was a basketball player with average grades. Okay, um, So uh, I know you talk to your players about this, your young kids, and I, I want to get on the mountaintop and scream it. The better your grades are, and the better your SAT and ACT tests are, the more money that will go in your pocket. Maybe not cash, but it will be scholarships you get, whether it's prep school, whether it's colleges, whatever package they bundle. So I cannot stress this enough. 
it is your job in high school to get good grades because ultimately you're getting paid for it. So do not be scared of that $20,000 mark I'm, I'm sending out. If we get together in August, and if you qualify financially and you have other attributes going, such as your talent, your grades, and, and other activities, then we can we can package a deal that might only be $5,000 out of sixty-five. And let's talk to, talk to you about extracurricular. All right? I know if you're a basketball player, you're not spending much time doing other things, but you need to do a few. All right, you need to volunteer. Okay, you need to be in some clubs. You've got to be more well-rounded. This is what the prep schools I work with deal with. And also, don't just be in the Latin club or the key club. Be a vice president. Be the secretary. Have leadership positions. I know I used to be a liaison for the Air Force Academy, talking to Kentucky kids that were interested in going that route. They had to have leadership. I didn't care if they were perfect grades, perfect test scores. If they showed no leadership history, we didn't want them. So coaches on the court are going to want leadership uh, leadership uh, capabilities out of a kid, both on the court and in the classroom, and it all works together in conjunction. All right, so that's just something I want to let your listeners know. Like, it's not just what you do on the court. It's not just what you do in the classroom. It's your whole body, and it's what people think of you as well. One of the first questions the coach will ask me is, hey, is he a good kid? You know, and that comes through references. I don't meet every kid I, I usually help, but I have to ask multiple people, like, is he a good kid? Is he a good kid? Because these coaches don't want headaches. These yeah. coaches have so many players coming out to them from all over the world. Like, they don't need headaches, you know. Even NBA, McDonald's All-Americans, if it was a headache, a lot of these schools would not take them. The, the, the good thing is those are the, all the things that you mentioned, those are things that a kid can control. Absolutely. That, 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 that's, exactly. the, that's the best part about it is that there really is uh, nobody's holding you back. You can – um, separate yourself from everybody else by doing those things that you mentioned that Marcellus and I encourage all the kids that we're in contact with to do. Um, and you got to leg up. It's an exactly. Leg up. exactly. And this is one of those things we always preach. And again, I, we've all dealt with kids. And it's one of those things, you know, you can be, the, like you mentioned, you can be the best basketball player you want to be, you know, but if you're not doing things the right way and you can't be trusted and, you know, you're not holding yourself accountable to that, it makes it hard because, like you said, nobody wants to deal with the headaches. So, you know, for all the young kids, as, as much as we, we tell you guys, it, it's super important, and especially if you're a young kid and your financial situation, you know, might not be the best. It's all about being able to maintain leverage and maximize opportunities. So, you know, instead of, you know, being on Fortnite all night, no, no, nothing wrong with playing it. Nothing wrong with playing that 2K, but do something else too, though. So, you know, take time, take pride in being – well-rounded as well, too, because, again, you're actually putting money in the bank the more things you can do. So, Can I mention recruiting a little bit here? Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Kentucky real quick. And I've, I've told Marcellus a few times, we've chatted in the past future, I wish you would have gone to prep school just to, just to see what could have happened. I know everything worked out great and you went to the school you needed to go to, but you're the example of a kid to where if you had had more eyes on you, you would have had more options. And we're going to use Kentucky in this scenario, okay? So... There is talent in Kentucky. We've all known this. We just listed the, the list of players that went to a prep school and then had college options after that. They were much better than they had going in. How the prep school world works, and once again, I've got to talk pre-COVID here, mm -hmm. all right, because we don't know what's going to happen come August. Um, the open gym period. Yeah. This period is something that is the main reason you go to prep school is to get seen during the open gym period. Now, um, if – these schools are all relatively close to one another, whether it's the military schools in Virginia, whether it's IMG in Mount Verde in Florida, whether it's all the New England prep schools, all right? They all work in conjunction to have open gyms at different times during the day, during the week. So if I'm a college coach and I've got five days to recruit, I can fly to Kentucky for a day, uh, go see one 
practice with maybe one D1 player and then wait around to the next day. Or I can go to New England and I can go to see Brewster work out at 6 in the morning and drive 20 miles to Kimball Union, see their workout at 3, right? And then drive uh, 20 more miles to Proctor Academy, see open gym at 8. So there as a college coach, instead of seeing one player in one open gym, I am seeing three open gyms in one day with D1 talent, D2 talent, D3 talent all across the board. And then the next day, do the same thing. Then the next day, then the next day, because all these prep schools work in conjunction because they know the goal there is to get their kids seen. So as far as most bang for your buck, there's no, there's no more bang for your buck as far as getting seen. Now, the better teams like Brewster are going to have 250 coaches. The smaller teams might only have 20 to 30. But when you go into a post-grad year, say you've, com- say you've committed to uh, Proctor Academy, all right, in, in April. Why didn't you use me as the example? Well, Why'd you change it up? No, 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 no. That's fine. It makes sense. Because we were just mentioning No, it does make sense. He's a, yeah. 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 yeah you would sense. have excelled to it. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Academically. Yeah, academically. <laughs> so um, say you commit to a prep school in April. You're going to get on the phone with that coach and say, hey, coach, um, what level do you think I'm at? Since he's recruiting, he's going to be like, well, I think you're low D1. You know, what, who do you want me to reach out to? And in April, you would say, well, I'm looking at school. I'd like to go to schools in North Carolina or Florida. And um, so that coach would reach out on your behalf. You would also reach out, too, and say, hey, I'm going to be in these AU events this summer on these teams. And by the way, I'm going to go to this prep school, Proctor, and our open gyms are Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturday at this time. So now if, if I'm a college coach going, oh, there's Marcellus at Tate's Creek, I'll probably never get up there. Oh, but now he's going to be in New England. Well, shoot, I'm definitely going to go up and see him because I can also see this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, and this kid um, versus coming to see him at Tate's Creek, right? So way more bang for your buck uh, if you're a college coach. Now let's talk current times. With this dead period being extended, if it does open up in August, if I'm a college coach and have to just scramble to see kids, where am I going to go? Am I going to go to Dallas, Texas, and see one practice a day? Heck, D.C., we had talent, but with the traffic there, you can only see one practice a day. Am I going to do a road trip in New England? Mm-hmm. I think New England this year is going to be just packed with coaches, and the kids up there are really going to be seen. So we got the open gym period. That's huge. That's where Tanner Johnson hit all his threes one day, and Bryant said, we want you. Bam, he signed. It's game over. Can, can you, um, with extra motivations from these uh, prep school coaches, would, is it safe to say that their job is, yes, to win games, but their job is to get you recruited? And, and that that is the difference between, like, not just in Kentucky, but I'll speak definitely on Kentucky. A lot of times um, it's, it's the win for the school, like the win for like, the record. What's your record at the end of the year? How well did you do at district? And, and that's the focus. And if kids can get recruited along the way, that's great. But we're keeping this train moving because I got sixth graders that will be seniors in six years. And it's really more about the program. Um, with the prep school coaches, would you say that there's more of an emphasis on getting all of my kids recruited to where I can get the best players again next year than the best players again next year? Kind of like what Calipari does, I guess, with UK, where it's an NBA. It, he said it from the beginning when uh, he talked about the five players being drafted in the first round. This is the biggest day in Kentucky history. His approach is we'll be successful because I'm getting all these guys where they want to go, so I'll keep getting good players. Would you say from your experience there is a different – maybe prioritization, um, because I'm not saying that our Kentucky coaches don't want kids to be recruited and won't jump in and help. I, that's, uh, I'm not saying that at all. But in regards to their priorities, if they were listing out the priorities, I would say that winning 
for the team and the school would be the number one priority. What, what would you say on that? Yeah. For high school, I, I agree. That should be the coach's number one priority is right. winning. All right? Right. And not all of them really have the connections nationwide. I mean, right. even if every coach in Kentucky has all the high school or the uh, colleges in the, in the region's contacts, it's just – it's still logistically hard for a coach to get down here to see players. Right. Okay. No matter what connections a high school coach has. Um, yes. To go back to the New England coaches and the, or the prep school coaches, if they don't win a game all year and everyone gets placed, it's a it's a successful year. Okay. If they win the prep school championship and they they don't place everybody. It's unsuccessful. You those coaches have to place everybody. And remember, the kids near the end of the bench are most likely the full paying kids. Yeah. So got to be placed. Has to place them. Yes. Right. And that's a question I ask, you know, I tell clients to ask the coaches, you know, when they're calling them, you know, what, how do you see me? You know, what level do you see me at? What are you going to do to get me seen? How are you going to place me? And you're not going to find a more connected group of coaches in America than the prep school world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are connecting people, high major, mid-major, low major, D2, NAIA, JUCO, every level. So you are going there. I, that's the number one reason you go to prep school is to get eyes put on you. By coaches that would not otherwise see you. All right. Yeah, there's AAU, but you got to be on the right team and the right court at the right time. So you are going for that exposure. There's no guarantee, though, that that exposure is going to get you anything. So, you know, I know David DeMarcus, I'll use him as an example, and he won't mind this. He wanted to go to prep school to see if he was a scholarship player. And he went to Bridgeton Academy, which is a triple A school. There's a player from Kentucky in the past went to Bridgeton. They've had some great players, um, and he was team captain. And when it mattered, when he was playing uh, in certain events or in certain in front of certain coaches, he just didn't hit the shots he needed to hit. He'd hit them other times, but the timing was wrong for him. So he got seen by plenty of people, plenty of events and open gyms, and they did not get a scholarship offer. Now, they could have kept working and maybe gotten one out west or somewhere, but that was too far away from home. But the thing about David DeMarcus that I love is that now when he's a 40-year-old man going to sleep at night in his pillow, he's not going to wonder what if. He, he gave it all he had, and yeah. now at the end of the day, he knows, well, I, didn't, I wasn't just buried in Kentucky where no coaches saw me. I played the best competition, and I had a chance in front of these coaches, and at the end of the day, I was, he was a D3 player. And he was great with that, content with that. So everyone was. So it wasn't considered a failure year that he didn't get a scholarship. So, and, he, and he grew in all the other ways, too, we discussed, academically, emotionally. His mom said he was more mature when he came home. So that's one thing I tell families and kids, too. Like, just because you're spending this money, just because you're going away from home, it's not like there's going to be a scholarship or a spot waiting for you. Like, you have to earn that. Yeah. And, and, and one thing else, too, that's important is, you know, these prep schools are all beautiful, great academics. They've all got different flavors, different uh, dorm settings, different food. Uh, you know, some are good, some are bad. You should pick a prep school based on the coach and your experience with or your, your, your relationship to them, right? They're the reason that... You know, uh, you should be going to a school if the finance is all even because you're going to be spending the most time with them, both on the court, uh, both in the locker room, and they're going to be your advocate. They're going to be the guy calling the coaches on the other end. And there's still coaches now scrambling in the prep school world to finish these few guys that need to be placed. You'll see on Twitter, uh, the New England Recruiting Report will say, hey, these big men are still available. These guards are still available. And um, it's just it's just a unique world up there that's just – that gets players from all over the U.S., all over the world. And, you know, one day you'll get up there to see one of these events, Tom, and I want you to see it because you've seen the WCAC on TV. I want you to see, just so you can come back here and, and, and toot your horn, that 
this is this is what prep school ball is like. What's the event? What's the event called? You invite me up to every year. Um, it's Adam Finkelstein's event, yeah. uh, prep school showcase in That's New right. Haven, right before Thanksgiving, and uh, you know, it never fails to to. I mean, it, it it always comes through, and everybody's in there. All the who's Cows there. Yeah, I've seen all, all those guys, scouts, all NBA everybody. scouts, <clears throat> and it's a little bit raw still because it's still early in the season. The kids are still learning each other, but. Yeah. Um, some of the best parts for me are seeing my clients out there, my right. guys playing for the first time. Some, some kids I've never met before, Tom. Right. Uh, it's just so, because it, it's, it's a virtual world now doing this, but I love it. Love seeing my friends up there. And um, Well, all the prep school talk is good, very helpful. I could not recommend prep school highly enough for, especially, it just it fits a need for a lot of our Kentucky kids that that we do have some limitations. Um, when other states are able to get together and play fall high school leagues um, preseason to figure out where they are and get some exposure and different things like that, you know, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to go to camps throughout the season. We're not allowed to do anything with outside of the high school team. Um, frankly, it, once school starts, and there's no shot clock either, which hurts. There's no sh there's no shot clock. We're confined to some regional teams and. You know, we, we have some disadvantages in getting our kids recruiting and uh, recruited. And the prep school option um, is just one that I've been a believer in since you first really opened my eyes to it, however many years ago that was, five or six years ago. Um, I would like to switch gears for a minute. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I've talked to Marcellus briefly. Um, Corey. This is, is why I came. This is, I, I know. School, it's, it's all good, but I, I, I wanted to hear about this, this other stuff. I know, I know. Because, you know, <laughs> Corey is one of my closest, most trusted friends. And, uh, you know, when I met him in 09, I was like, this is different. This is, he's, a, he's a different type of guy. And I appreciated that. And I knew his experiences were different. The more that we got to uh, know each other, um, you've lived an adventurous life. You live, and, and, and I really appreciate that and have drawn inspiration from that. Um, I don't want to steal any of your thunder, but I'm going to bring up what, what my legend is in my head about you in regards to some of the things that you've done. And you tell me if it's true or not. <laughs> okay. Okay. You and your father have started in your seven-foot father, who is what age? Uh, well, you can tell me the age when you did this, but you two have once or twice started in Egypt and biked biked on bicycles. Bicycles, not, not on, motorcycles. Not motorcycles. Bicycles. Taking bicycles from Egypt to South Africa. True or false? It's true. Just once, but true. Once. Okay. And, and so you, you have to explain this. Give us even some highlights of that type of trip. First of all, why and what, what even inspired that? So I was in the Air Force in, um, I think it was uh, the fall of 2004, and I was going to be getting out of the Air Force in May of 2005. My five-year commitment had been up. 9-11 happened. Deployments were happening. I was not going to keep enlisting. And my dad was a big biker. Biked across the U.S. a couple times. And he's seven foot tall. He was, you know. Did he just throw that in there? That's casual. <laughs> yeah. You'll see why it's casual in a second. But he's a biker because of his knees, obviously. You know, bigger guys have knee problems. So... Uh, he asked me, I called me at 5 in the morning because I was in Central Time. He was in Kentucky Time. I said, hey, what are you doing in uh, January 2006? I, said, I don't know. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. And so uh, he's like, do you want to ride a bicycle from Cairo, Egypt to Cape Town, South Africa? I said, okay. I said, all right, I'll get it organized. And uh, so I'd never, the longest I'd ever ridden, um, so my training consisted of going to Boulder, Colorado uh, with a friend I was living with then and going to a few spin classes trying to lose weight, by weight, I mean, I would go from like 220 to 210, get strong, and I, I think I rode 20 miles, right? That was my training. I just didn't know what I was getting into. Fast forward, we, we fly to Cairo, Egypt, 
and uh, we start the first day at the pyramids, right? Banner, there's about 35 of us from all around the world that are going to go from start to finish. There'll be different people joining us along the way, but that's the start to finish group. And our first day out of Cairo is 110 miles, right? <laughs> my seat's wrong. I, I get there. I feel crippled when I'm, when I'm setting up my tent. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got 119 more days of this. Uh, so we went through Egypt. Then the next country was Sudan, which we were scared about because they're going through a civil war. It's where Osama bin Laden had his al-Qaeda base. And um, the roads there were rough. Uh, we crashed a lot, but it was the most bonding country because it was so rough. So everyone that was on that Sudanese part of the trip kind of scoffed at the people that joined us later and complained. We're like, well, you weren't in Sudan. Right. And the cool thing, too, was culturally that we would have folks in tents scream at us to come into their tent and have tea with them. Now, these were Muslim, uh, Muslim families. We didn't speak their language. They didn't speak ours. And Al-Qaeda didn't give a good, uh, a good um, impression of the Muslim faith. Because all you see in the, in the Western media is, you know, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, Muslims. Yeah, yeah, militant. And it was the nicest people uh, on the entire trip from start to finish. And... That's why I tell the kids I've coached all the time, like, you've got to travel the world. You've got to see different perspectives. You know, I had to deploy to Iraq, and the Iraqi people were great when I was there. The Sudanese people were great. You know, it didn't matter we had different religions or different races or from different countries. Like, at the end of the day, everyone is kind of on the same page of wanting to just be healthy, uh, raise their families, and be, you know, be in a peaceful environment. So Sudan, where we were nervous going in, was actually the best country we visited, you know, people-wise. Ethiopia, everywhere you looked, there was people there. Like, you pull over to go to the bathroom real quick, and just people start running out. And they, the kids throw rocks at you just because it's like, hey, man. And they throw a rock, not to be aggressive, but just like, hey, I see you. So you're constantly getting pelted. <laughs> After three weeks in Ethiopia, I, I had enough. I just, you could never get any time alone. And it actually felt like being a celebrity and having paparazzi everywhere. Like, we'd set up our tent and a line around it, and a, like hundreds of people just stare at you while you're just, you know, putting up your tent, eating. And uh, Ethiopia was tough for me with that. And then we went down, um, you know, uh, Kenya, Nairobi, Tanzania, did a safari there, um, Botswana. And then, at, you know, two months in, there was a group of leisure riders and a group of racers because this was a race too. And two months in, I got in such good shape, I joined the racers. Because remember, there's no easier sport to get in shape with than biking because your legs are just going up and down. It's just a matter of getting your reps in, right? There's no thinking. There's no, like, special skill. It's just brute work, right? So then I'm racing uh, for about a week, and I didn't like that because it was just – you couldn't take – you know, stop and get a Coke and take a picture. You're just racing. And, you know, we saw Victoria Falls. I saw a Moonbow at Victoria Falls. The only other Moonbow in the world is at Cumberland Falls in Kentucky, which is a full moon, and you see you know, through the mist a white rainbow. Um, the safari was great. Um, we actually in Namibia had a couple of days off there. We're kind of way down in South Africa where we went to Swakopmund. Well, we didn't realize Swakopmund was the most uh, photographed place on earth at that time because at the time we rolled in town, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were there waiting their first kid. So the town was sleepy, but everywhere and every tabloid um, was about this baby coming on to the baby's name. And they had like barricades in town that we wouldn't let you in with a camera. So. We didn't know that at the time, but giant sand dunes. And then every country we went south, closer towards South Africa, got more and more modern. To where the first custom station we went through in South Africa was the first one that used a computer to scan our passport. Everywhere else is by hand. And then we ended on Cape Town uh, four, four months later. And, uh, you know, I probably lost 25 pounds. My dad lost 50. 
Um, it's just we were all beaten up and just in rough shape, but um, I was in the best shape of my life, too. Like, that's a good feeling. Like, you'll never, you know, no one ever has four months to spend every day, like, getting in shape like that. And it was just, it was just, you felt like, a, it just felt great. But, yeah, it was a great experience. Different seeing a continent via bike than just driving by in a car. So. That's, that's, that's one of the things. I, I ended up purchasing a bike earlier this summer. And, you know, I, I ride around my neighborhood, go downtown all the time. And, you know, I'll get 25 miles in. But on the bike, you're able to see things that you just pass every day in a car that, you really never even notice, but being able to kind of just explore a little bit, I, I'd appreciate it. And I, I know how 20 miles does me, so I can only imagine, you know, four months of that. But <laughs> how, many bike, too, how, how many bikes do you go through? Yeah. Well, I broke one. One was a titanium, I had a titanium bike frame, and um, I broke it in Ethiopia on the side of a mountain. So there I am with like 100 people around, and it's like, well, I guess I'm going to hitchhike to our camp. And there I am hitchhiking, you know, wow. in the back of a truck. Go to a camp, and um, my mom was coming over like halfway point in Nairobi, and we had to have her bring a bike with her. <laughs> so yeah, I broke titanium, and you can't just weld titanium in like just a welder shop. Yeah, we found out. So um, so that was interesting. We could do a whole podcast just on that experience. All right, I'm not trying to gloss over that, but another one more recent. Now, you know, I, I don't always have the best memory. This is again the legend, and you tell me exactly what it is. But you spent a week in Europe. Um, I don't remember the country. If I had to guess at the country, I would say Denmark, if I'm just guessing. But um, you spent uh, with, there with an expert in regards to training your mind, um, self-discipline, different things. And the way that you would learn this is through, um, or the, one of the practices is testing this via submerging yourself in freezing uh, rivers and lakes, actual uh, runoff from the mountains of frozen you know, fr frozen water. And uh, can you just jump into that? Because that, that, that one kind of blew my mind, too. Yeah, so this uh, January I went to Poland. Poland, okay. You were close. Okay. Uh, and spent a week uh, with Wim Hof, who's also known as the Iceman. And um, Wim Hof, he's getting famous now. Uh, he's trained some of the Hemsworths. He's trained Djokovic. Um, he's got a movie coming out about him that Joseph... Finds is playing him, and then he was also featured on Netflix in, in Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Lab, which is a good introduction. Like my mom found out about Wim Hof through Goop. All right, okay. so yeah. I'm not do what you will with Goop, but uh, I'd known about him for a couple of years now, and um, every year I try to do something challenging, you know. And that was the from 43. Yeah, you, now. you were talking to me about ice baths a couple of years ago. Yeah, right? and you got one in your place in D.C. You showed me the pictures of it, and it's a yeah, I had an ice bath in D.C. in my garage there. I get yeah. in. It was a chest freezer, and it's right. filled with water and had it at 36 degrees. And now in Colorado, where I live, I can hop into a, a snowmelt creek right. 18 minutes from my house. Yeah. So I've got it naturally there. But I went to Poland and um, to train with the Iceman, and um, it's featured. If you want to go learn more, there's a 37-minute video on, on YouTube from Vice. Vice put it together called The Iceman. gives a background on him, and um, it scared me. You know, I've done ice baths, but I've never done it in... I was in Poland three years ago on a basketball trip, and it was the coldest place I've ever been. It's scary. It was scary cold. I was wearing all my thermals, everything, and just it was cold to the bone. And I was like, oh, so now I'm going to be getting into an ice water without that clothing. But the thing that Wim Hof teaches you is using your breath for power. Right? So he's got this whole Wim Hof breathing method, which, you know, um, too detailed to get into now, but we went through that every day, and then every day we would, we would go dip in this, in this creek, in these pools and waterfalls, 
and the first day was five breaths, the second day was five minutes, and then graduation was ten minutes. Yes, and an amazing set. I couldn't. You started off with a hundred people in this class. Is that correct? Yeah, hundred people, and you're broken up into twenty-five okay. uh, uh, person groups. Sure. So even if we have a hundred campers, campers registered for a camp, we're not finishing the week with ninety-nine or with a hundred. Something comes up. It, it you know somebody maybe gets sick. Somebody does this or whatever. But you told me for uh, for the grand finale, the, the final test was five minutes. And can you explain the conditions again? No, it wasn't five, it was ten, ten minutes. Ten minutes, I'm sorry, yeah, ten minutes. Yeah, the ten minutes are you're getting in this ice-cold ice cold water in this pool, in this, yeah. in this river. And um, mind you, my, I've been doing my ice bath training in D.C. like two to three minutes, right? It'd be pretty rough. Yeah. It's just ten minutes. During that ten minutes, I really went to a lot of different places because your mind tells you, Oh, you got this. And then you're waiting for everyone to get in, and you're like, oh, my gosh, we've got nine minutes to go. And then it goes to, this hurts. Then you numb out. You're like, I got this. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, I, I have to get out right now. And the, the, the mind gymnastics you go through, um, it's, it's, it was scary. But it was like it, it cracked something to where um, I broke through it and made it. And the key is to really – this is getting into it a little bit, but yeah. surrendering to it. Like sometimes you get in cold water and you're tense. You know, kind of the key is doing the breathing, which is very slow, and then to relax your shoulders. So it's in your whole body and just surrender to nature. And that's counterintuitive, you know. Yeah. Like, so you're in this ice cold water, everything in your body is screaming, all your nerves are firing, you're supposed to relax and breathe slowly and just concentrate on your breath versus all the chatter going on in your brain. And um, I know we all, in a group, there's 25 of us, started, you know, yelling like yeah 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 started celebrating and we found out our leaders looking at us like didn't say anything he was like these guys still have three minutes left like, <laughs> they're celebrating way too early and then after we celebrated we all were like well we're not done yet yeah and then we all you know you could just see everyone kind of you know panic and having them get back into the breath but um that that really just showed me i could you know your body can do so much and your mind but but what i was getting at a minute ago in regards to all 100 people is oh, that correct? Yeah. All 100 people made it, passed, did it. Yeah. And that to me is just, like I said, for something as simple as just showing up for a camp to get 100 but people. They to, train you, though. It's not like you just, they just said, hey, let's get some soup and I get do it. 10 minutes. But You're I would all bet, week. if you bet me $10,000 and you're telling me all 100 people would make it, I would say, ain't no way. I'll, I'll take your bet. I, I would take that bet. That. And so it's just amazing to me that. All, that everybody made it through that. Just what an experience. Well, let's talk about the other graduation, too. So that was the water immersion graduation. And there was the other graduation of hiking up a mountain with just your shorts on, boots, and a hat. No shirt. And I think it was 15 degrees, and we hiked six, six miles up a mountain. And also it was covered in snow. <laughs> and mind you, like, mind you again, once again, it's not just anyone doing this. We've been breathing all week and kind of sure. building up our reserves in our body, making it more alkaline. Um, and then you're focusing on the breath too. You're not jabbering yeah. while you're walking up. You are focused in. You're, you're doing long exhales. You're just relaxing. You're surrendering to the cold. And I'm I'm skinny. I always get cold. I, I didn't shiver the whole time up there. So it's kind of like a superpower you can utilize. And now, for uh, you know, if we want to get this to players, like now in the morning, you know, almost every day of the week, I'll do Wim Hof breathing, which takes about 15 minutes, and alkalizes the body, energizes me training for a marathon now so before i run every time i do the wim hof breathing so not it's a whole another hour to talk about that yeah. check it out if you want to learn more about it but i think 
you know, Laird Hamilton does it. Laird Hamilton, um, that's where I learned it from. He trains Joakim Noah. Yeah. He trained Durant. All these pros, they're doing these breathing protocols too. So it really helps with inflammation. Really helps. Well, speaking of limit, there's a lot of mystery around him how he can be in his mid 70s and look like he's 40. He's Maybe in his, his late 50s, yeah. And he's Leonard Hamilton is. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's I trained why I said with my him. memory's not great. Well, he's that's who I trained with a few years ago at his place in Malibu, and that's where I kind of learned about the ice and the heat. And it was like. I'm not a surfing guy, like, yeah. so I wasn't in awe of him. But after I left there and watched his videos, I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy is a, a legend. And just the energy, the positive energy he has, and just kind of the way he carries himself in his body. And Gabby, too, Gabby Reese's wife, she's 6'4", um, Olympic athlete. Just, like, seeing two of the fittest people, you know, in the world and just how they're trying to share stuff with, you know, people from all over the world. It was great. And they really, like, Joakim Noah has really started introducing a lot of NBA players to this hot, Hold, the mindset, the holding the breath. And I think it's going to get more and more mainstream in the future. It's yeah. probably not in youth basketball yet, but I think it's coming. And maybe that's, that's another project uh, well, another day. The, and, and we're going to limit it to those two <laughs> legends. Um, well, well, we, 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 we've got one more. We've, we've got one more. And, you know, we're kind of looking at the time. You've got somewhere you've got to be tonight. And, <laughs> you know, again, it, it – it, this, the stories could go on and on and on. As a matter of fact, I, I guarantee you, after tonight, the story's going to be ridiculous, yeah. right? So, you know, if you want to speak on, you know, where, where you've got to be hurrying out of here in a second. Yeah, so I do real estate uh, development in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, yesterday I started talking to a guy who was um, born in Lexington. His dad taught at UK, and he does work in Colorado where I live. And he said, hey, what are you doing a Wednesday night, which is tonight? And I said, I don't know. He goes, if you're in town, you should come by. Dave Chappelle's doing a private show. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be there. And he's like, well, I'll just, you know, I'm not going to get you tickets, but I'll put you in the VIP tent with us. And I was like, yeah. So I'm going now. That's why we had to start this a little early. I'm leaving now in the next uh, 20 minutes to go to Dayton, Ohio, to see Dave Chappelle. I don't know what the VIP tent means. I don't know who. I know there's been famous celebrities just popping in to do this little private show. But yeah. I have no idea what's coming. I don't know if I'm going to meet him. don't know if it's going to be funny. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Some, you know, my dad, when he, he grew up on a small farm in Indiana, and he just, his dad was a farmer, and he said, look, I, I couldn't travel. You need to travel. So my dad at a young age instilled this travel bug and trying to do new things. And my dad was never a biker until, you know, he got introduced to it late in life. And it's just, life's too short, you know. And um, I just, I just want to try to learn as much as possible and, uh, it's just
KBC Hoops podcast. 